break on this snowy morning and on this special birthday our guest has come even though it is his birthday welcome tyler rice our elder apprentice here thank you good morning thanks for having me yes i'm pastor craig with pastor jerry good morning and we are looking at ephesians 4 the first half uh, where paul is uh, making this big transition in the letter with the word therefore uh, he has uh, brought us into the heights of the gospel and what is true in chapters 1 through 3. And then he, is, he moves us now into what should that look like? How should that change our lives, change our relationships? And so he describes first the unity that we have uh, in Christ. There's only one body, one spirit, one Lord and faith and baptism. And then he sort of moves from unity to diversity where there are many, uh, many people being involved, and we are all meant to grow up into the head who is Christ. We, we sort of need everyone to grow up as we speak the truth and love into the mature man, Jesus Christ. So that's what we looked at. Where should we begin? Yeah, I think I really appreciated that uh, in, your, in your sermon, you kind of told us and reminded us that unity is not an accomplishment. Uh, unity is given to us by the Lord, and uh, really importantly, that that gift is given out of facts. You sort of said unity acts out of the facts, and also you reminded us, you know, our identity. We, we are purchased in Christ. We, we have identity before we do anything. Um, but I'd like to, I think, just begin with a, a question and a, a reflection of if the fact of the gospel, it is a good news, it is true, it is transformative in our lives, yet why are our hearts so forgetful mm. of this fact? Mm. Um, why do we so easily latch on to other things, other idols, and why do we so quickly rebel against God's goodness mm. when it should make our posture one of worship mm. Mm. Um, and I think I can I can just sort of prompt and in, in that doing some of that reflection myself one of the things that I try to run to so quick or, or as quickly as possible in combating the forgetfulness in my heart is uh, the Great Commission often in Matthew 28 we usually just hear verse 19 quoted go and make disciples but I run to the bookends in verse 18 and 20 mm where as Jesus, right before Jesus is ascending, he's with his disciples and he gives them the incredible truth succinctly, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Mm. And I think that promise of presence, I cling to it and I try to go back to it as often as possible. But why do you think, why are we so forgetful? I mean, I think in that example, that's interesting that we would cling to go and make disciples. So it's, it's like this foolish irony of our sin that we, we want the law. Like we want commands. We want something we can do even though we can't accomplish it. And even though we can't do it perfectly or certainly can't make disciples without the Spirit of God, so we can't do it on our own. So there, I think that's, I mean, there's many reasons, I think, but that's what strikes me in your example. We, we ironically want what we will not be able to accomplish. We want the law. We want commands. We, we have this moralistic uh, 
tinge, a lot of us, because we think we can achieve. Hmm. Yeah. I wrestle with, I wrestle with that question. Like, how do we forget and why do we forget? Um, Because that, that, I think often that term, that, that idea of being forgetful about the facts of Christian, Christian faith, is almost like, you know, I, I, I forget my keys in the morning. <laughs> you know, I, I have a checklist of things and there's one thing I forgot to add to the list. I just don't prioritize it. So I, I think that's part of it. I think that's part of it. We, we don't prioritize the facts often because we just assume them. We're so used to hearing the gospel um, that it no longer stirs us. I think that's I think that's a big part of it, but I think it's part of it, not the whole. I wonder if some of our forgetfulness is more like learning a new skill. So, for instance, you know, in sports, you're taught something, you're taught how to run this one play, and you're not used to running that play, so you do it wrong. Hmm. When and you're constantly put in situations where you are trained to do it right. So it's not that I am forgetting facts. I don't know how hmm. to actually use the facts hmm. sometimes. And I, that's why I think he gets into here um, this communal aspect. This is the environment where we're learning how to use the facts. And so I think that's part of what forgetfulness looks like. It's we don't know how to use them half the time and we forget. We, so I, I, I think that's why we need each other, because when I look at another brother or sister and they're difficult, or I'm difficult to them. I ha- I'm reminded or should be reminded that moment of the facts of the gospel. Like I am talking to a redeemed person right now, <laughs> um, not a devil and I should treat them such. So that's a really good point. I think mm-hmm. because for, we think forgetting is like a mind problem or a, mm-hmm. like a memory problem or something. Yeah. But I think you're saying it's, it's also a heart and body problem. We're, mm-hmm. we're not even, and so even relevant to this passage, like that's why he says, therefore, it should look like this. Mm-hmm. We, we naturally don't want to be humble or mm-hmm. gentle or patient. And so it's like trying to, trying to feed in our real identity mm-hmm. into us. Mm-hmm. I heard one description of, of sanctification as uh, you've got one guy who's been an offensive lineman in football his whole life. Mm-hmm. He's eaten as much as he wants. He tries to get as big and strong as possible, so he ends up being, you know, 6'6", 350. But then conversion is like, all right, now you have to become a marathon runner. Yeah. You've been playing the wrong game your mm-hmm. whole life. Mm-hmm. And so that's going to be a big transition. Even if he try, he can try to remember, all right, now I'm playing, I'm mm-hmm. trying to run a marathon. Mm-hmm. It's going to take a long time to work that out. Yeah, and to use another example, I mean, we're all married here, and I know everyone that's listening might not be married, but um, I've, I've heard it. I heard one person put tell the the, the husband of, of the bride the day of the wedding. He said, she said actually to this to the husband. She asked him, "Do you love your wife?" And he's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, I love her. I love her a lot." She says, "This is the one of the best days of your life." He's like, "Yeah, yeah, best day." She said, "This is actually the least you'll ever love her." <laughs> This is the least you ever love her because as the years go on, you will learn mm. more and more about her and you'll discover more ways mm. that you can love her, that you should love her and how to love her. And that, that's, that's what, that's what the gospel is. It's not, it doesn't end at the declaration of the facts about mm. you. <laughs> Those facts are like categories on like, um, like drop down menus. 
you hear justification and then you click it and it drops down and there's a depth to it mm. that um, is inexhaustible because the one who gave it to you is inexhaustible. The one who purchased it for you is inexhaustible. So I think being in relationship helps us discover like, oh, wow, <laughs> this is actually how I'm supposed to love you. I didn't know that justification mm. led me to that, mm. but now I do. I appreciate that. This, mm. this aspect of communal living and communal uh, worship and, and faith, we know this to be true. Like when you get to know, when you enter into a new friendship, um, you know, you don't call it forgetfulness if you've just started to meet a person and you're just getting to know them for the first time. Yeah. It takes time to really uh, deeply understand and walk with that person. So mm-hmm. it makes sense that, yeah, some of this clunky language uh, as soon as we dive into a little more, uh, it makes a lot more sense why. Uh, for a young Christian, perhaps, the, that muscle memory isn't there. Mm. But over time, um, they, they learn to run the play mm. the, more, mm. the, way that, the, the way that it was designed. Yeah. I think, of course, the other uh, tragic but very real reason you know, I don't act out of the facts is... I'm a rebel and I want to be king of the kingdom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I, or the coach in this analogy, you know, if God has said, this is the law, I would prefer to use my own law. And so I think acting out of those sinful desires is a big part of what causes me to stray. And um, mm. I find the product is disunity, frankly, mm-hmm. in my marriage, in my friendships, in a lot of other ways, because I'm not living in accordance of, of God's law. Mm. And certainly it's a spiritual battle, the end of chapter 3 being this wonderful prayer that we need the Holy Spirit simply to, to know God's love, which seems like such an automatic thing. But mm. um, but I think also the, the one reason why unity is hard is, yeah, we want to, as a rebel, or we want to stand out. Um we want to boast in something that's unique about us. Mm. And the gospel sort of levels it and says, well, you don't stand out. Uh, you were all dead in your sin. Uh, and you need to be raised in Christ. Christ is the one who stands out and unites us. And of course, you know, that's not to say, you know, people aren't made in the image of God and they have different gifts, things like that. But all of that does not lead to any kind of boasting, mm-hmm. any kind of distinctiveness that you've you can boast it in mm. the presence of God. Mm. Interesting. Mm. Uh, I, I'm suddenly feeling really grateful for uh, the time yesterday. I don't know what everyone did as far as uh, did they have the day off for Martin Luther King Jr. Day, but Pastor Craig and I got to join a Bridges of Hope uh, prayer event yesterday morning, and we gathered in a room with brothers and sisters from all around the city, from many different congregations, and yeah, I think that that ministry of presence and that ministry of prayer as we remember a godly man, um, but ask God to continue to bring that unity to bear and and rejoice for what he has given us. Uh, right, it's a fact. It's not, it's not uh, an accomplishment. I think it was just a wonderful time to receive the gift of that unity and uh, heard many sisters and brothers share what their experiences um, of unity have been. Um, and I think I, I appreciate your point about um, when I'm on my own, 
of course I want to fear I, I am standing out of the crowd I am distinct but then when you're in a room full of people those distinctives fall away so quickly because of what the community is collectively you see the you see the fullness of the room and everyone there and you belong to the body um, and I'm often in awe that Christ decided to use the uh, body as the metaphor to describe his people because bodies are so funny and different you know an elbow is nothing like the hair on your head is nothing like the teeth or your eyeballs they're so different yet so integrated which i think is a really beautiful image for what we are it's interesting that and i had the same thought of the breakfast there is this unity and the unity somehow makes us appreciate the distinctiveness more Mm. Um, because it's not the distinctiveness is not born out of a selfishness or a self-righteousness at least not meant to be right it's 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 born out of this is simply what god has has given me and then and this is how i can bring glory to god Mm -hmm. so i think i mean that's part of what the passage takes us into is that it does assume diversity and there's no such thing as unity in the lord um without lots of different sorts of people mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um that's how we get built up into christ is that we all speaking the truth in love you're being fitted into mm-hmm. um so if you are just an eyeball uh, standing alone, you are useless. Mm-hmm. Like you, you will die. Um, and your purpose, if it's outside the body, has been lost. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't function, mm-hmm. right? Just like any other amputated limb or anything like that. If it's outside the body or is overgrown or mm-hmm. oversized, it, it dies. Yeah. Hmm. Um, yeah, that's one thing. I th- as I'm, as I'm listening to you guys talk about the prayer breakfast i've been a part of other prayer breakfasts amongst different denominations um and i this may just be me but i I, i'm assuming it's also other people that at the there's two things that i am experiencing in that moment often it's oh wow look how different the body of christ is but also there's this sense of like i don't know if it's competitiveness if i'm being honest and the reason I bring that up is because diversity, as beautiful as it is, if we're honest, it also works against our inherent pride. It, 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 it just begins chopping at it and pointing it out every single time. When I'm with another brother who prays different than me, who, has, who uses different Christian lingo than me, who has a different way of doing church than me, who may be doing more outward good works than me. <laughs> I may preach more. They may do more outward works than me. And there's this like inherent competitiveness that I'm constantly having a war against. Mm. And I wonder, I don't want to put thoughts into Paul, but it's interesting how he starts off the list of how we are to go about unity with humility, with humility. (laughs) It has to start there. And that's one of the, one of the, it's, it's, I mean, I think your point though, proves the point yeah. Paul like yeah. you need diversity in order to reveal your own pride mm-hmm. yeah. mm-hmm. you know yeah. I mean it's just, it's a, it's also showing that 
that may be a taste of heaven, but it's still just a taste. Like we, taste. we got a lot of work to actually have that unity mm-hmm. to really be able to glory in the Lord without yeah. any kind yeah. of selfishness yeah. or self-consciousness. Yeah, and, and it makes me ask the question, how much of my faith is tied to my performance in a particular tradition that I'm a part of? Right. Like my, my name and my persona in a, in a tradition. And like, and I hate that I wrestle with that in those moments because I don't, when I'm at CPC, I don't think, I don't think about it. I'm with other brothers. It just pops out as mm. this, as this nasty reflex. Yeah. Um, and I think humility is meant to grow in us a kind of curiosity, mm-hmm. like a humble learning so I think the ideal, and I definitely know what you mean, Jerry, mm-hmm. and I think the ideal is can we, can we simply learn from mm-hmm. others without the competitive spirit? Right. right. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. One, one thought I had going into the sermon but didn't really have time to get, it, get into it, maybe this is relevant here, is that unity is different than the way we use equality. Mm-hmm. In the world today, it's a, it's a big, you know, hot, um, popular value. Obviously, the value that we would want to promote in politics is equality. Everyone should be treated equally in the justice system, that sort of thing. But that's not really what Paul is after. I don't think that's the biblical version of unity. Because equality means you treat everyone the same, no matter who they are, where they've come from. And that's not love, that may be justice in a political sense, but that's not love. Love is uh, treating someone how they have been created, where they are now, stooping down as God stoops down to us, or trying to, you know, respond in an appropriate way. Mm. I think that's the the standard here is love, not equality. Mm. And so, it would be ridiculous if a pastor were to treat everyone the same, like you talk Mm -hmm. to everyone the same and you don't take any account of their background Mm -hmm. or the sins they struggle with or what Mm -hmm. their gifts are. So his picture here is not, we need to, we need to level everyone out, Mm -hmm. you know, like sharpen all the differences off so that we're all the same. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, we're not all the same. God has created us in different ways. And that's the beauty of being able to glory in the Lord in all these different ways. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And that necessitates quite a lot more work, if we're honest. It does necessitate <laughs> a lot of work, but I think it helps us understand that unity is not a bad word. I think unity can mm. feel like stop acting differently, <laughs> just act the same as everyone around you. Mm. And that's not unity. Homo, that may be some kind of equality. Yeah, but. It's not homogenous or homogeneity. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's a good word, and it helps me pay attention to... I was speaking with our sister, Catherine Kozak, and I was reflecting that my friendship with her has really caused me to be more alert to certain other friends of mine because it, it, it requires something different of me. Right. And right. that it's like a muscle. I hadn't really developed that before my friendship with Catherine, but because of that training ground experience, right? She's allowed. She's opened up to me other possible modes of uh, brotherhood and sisterhood. Mm-hmm. That it takes some work, but mm-hmm. 
there's such a delight and a privilege when I do get to step into that. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, no, I was just going to give a, an example. I'm, I'm reading a book. It's, it's, it's quite a funny book. Funny in a, in a sad way also, because it's, 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 it's an individual who is writing a story about his divorce. Um, but, and this guy's from Savannah, Georgia. It's a great book. It's called, um, uh, I forget what it's called, actually, like Making Marriage Work or something like that. But it's, it's funny. Anyways, he, he tells, when, whenever he found out that his wife was, had been cheating on him, and he was in this really rough spot. And he was going to this big Presbyterian church in Savannah, Georgia, actually. And in this moment where he was feeling all this despair, he, he decided, I'm going to go to this men's prayer breakfast. And this is a tr- typical sort of Presbyterian vibe. Like, everyone speaks as though they were born in the 18th century. <laughs> all their prayers and everything. But what, what stood out to me about what he said... And I've, I've experienced it, not in his same position, but I've, I've, from a distance, I've experienced something similar where I've come to a men's prayer breakfast or a prayer breakfast in, in period. And I had the weight of the world feeling like on my shoulder, but I didn't feel as though I could express that hmm. because there was, in a sense, this stodgy uniformity <laughs> where the culture, though it wasn't verbalized, it it wasn't a checklist of what you should and should not say, but it was just felt in the air. No one open up. Mm. Just pray your lofty prayers. Mm. And and then eat your breakfast and then you walk out. Mm. And I think that's the that's the that's the what's the word best way to put it? That's I think how y- y- uniformity can be imposed upon a church without without it even being verbalized from the pulpit. Mm. Where you create a culture where you don't be real, you don't say things, you just follow the lead, mm. and everyone does it. Mm. And I think that's where we can miss out on learning what other, how to treat other people, because no one ever, everyone just does the same thing. So I yeah. never actually get to see you raw. <laughs> and that that does feel like it's not real unity. Mm-hmm. You're not really united in anything right. profound or real. You're just united in the culture that you share. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you know, if unity is not equality, it's also not uniformity. Right. For sure. Right. Yeah, we all act the same way. Because mm-hmm. that's not a challenge to anyone. Who are yeah. you challenging? Unity should be hard. It should be very hard. It should be really hard mm-hmm. uh, because of the fall, mm-hmm. but also because of the way God has created so many different cultures and peoples and all that thing, yeah. all that stuff. It should be hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's why Paul is constantly fighting for it. It's something we have to fight for, mm-hmm. and it has to come back to. We, we should need the gospel to fight for the unity. Mm. Whereas, if you have just the uniformity of a culture, you don't really need the gospel. You don't need to have a real experience mm-hmm. with grace. Right. That I really am a sinner who was dead and was rescued. Let me share that. You know. Yeah. yeah. It's it's you don't have to feel safe in real vulnerability because you're not opening up in any way. Mm, mm-hmm. Jesus has sort of become irrelevant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that led me to a question that I sort of found on Sunday and have rolled around <clears throat> a little since then, which is at the beginning of verse 3, where Paul is urging uh, the Ephesian believers to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And we often hear this in our passing of the piece almost weekly. And it's a, 
a beautiful affirmation and encouragement to each other. But as we just touched on, it belies hard work underneath it. So really the question I have is about this word eager at the beginning of verse three. I just pulled up the interlinear Bible because I wanted to see, yeah, the, the Greek word is spudazantes. And some of the other translations are being diligent to maintain the unity. Mm. Um, so really the question is, am I eager? Am I diligent to maintain that unity and dig into the hard work? And if so, why? And if not, why not? Mm. Um, yeah, we've, we've obviously already turned over some of these aspects of you encounter relational difference. Um, I think I'm really selfish with my time, frankly, and maintaining the unity is slow. It requires a lot of time um, to really go in and, and you know, invite stories, to invite vulnerability. Uh, a few of us are, I hope many of us are reading The Soul of Shame by Kurt Thompson and discussing it with each other. And yeah, in order to let those genuine expressions of hurt and uh yeah, story come out, it just takes a lot of time that sometimes it feels like I am not willing to give that, which is uh, such such a tragedy. Hmm. No, you're right. It's a really hard thing to do. It's even a hard to, th- like, what are we eager for? What are you eager hmm. for? Eager to maintain something. It almost feels almost counter intuitive because you feel like maintaining sounds kind of boring mm. like you're just maintaining or yeah. you're just keeping what you already have mm-hmm. um, but if we realize that it's the unity that's been bought with a precious cost mm. and to to divide over it like to, to separate to not maintain the unity mm-hmm. is really trying to pull Jesus apart mm-hmm. um but yeah, you're right. I think definitely selfishness of time, um, self, self-preservation, self-consciousness, like not being willing to forget myself for the sake of mm. Christ and his church. Mm. That's mm. definitely it for me. Mm. That word eager, yeah, you're right. It's a good challenge. One of the ones that I, I'm trying to learn about, and I recognize the irony of saying this on a podcast, but (laughs) I've tried to learn how to be eager to shut up and let others speak. (laughs) And in life group or another context to really invite someone else to drive a conversation and share about their life and what the Lord is doing in it. And I so often find myself gabbing and rambling, speaking over what I had hoped to invite. And so I think it's taking time Mm. for the Lord to show me how to best prompt and then really be quiet. Mm. <laughs> and I think in, in those sorts of wisdom questions, I think we want to always, always try to make sure like love is the standard. So, mm. so yeah, sometimes you do need to just shut up, but the goal is that you would do that in love. So mm. you're trying to draw out someone who is not as confident to speak or is not willing to jump in mm. and it, and, your motivation at least should, should be trying to, to sort of enliven them or give them space or safety or or they can experience more of the gospel themselves, right? Yeah, hmm. um, yeah you, you bring up being motivated by, motivated by love and obviously you, 
you come to that famous passage in Paul, 1 Corinthians 13, the love passage. And there's, there's one phrase in there that it always stands out to me. Everything else makes sense, but it's this one part that stands out to me because you don't expect Paul to say it. It says, love hopes all things, and it says, love believes all things. Like, wait a minute, believes all things? There's something I shouldn't believe, right? And I, and I wonder if, if he's saying in that, because the context is how we love each other. I wonder if, if he's saying when it comes to relationships, believe the best mm. in somebody. Mm-hmm. Like, if they do something that's offensive, believe the best in them. Like, give them the benefit of the doubt. Give, give them the benefit of the doubt. Like, lean more towards loving them and being patient with them than to react harshly against them. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's embedded in this idea of here to maintain. It's the, the, the bar for me not being your brother in Christ is extremely high. Mm-hmm. Extremely high. I mean, mm-hmm. to the point where like a schism. Like, mm. That's where you are separated. And we see Christ <laughs> uh, reminding his disciples yeah. or figuratively telling them to forgive each other seven times, 77 yeah. times, you know, basically infinite forgiveness yeah. <laughs> before yes. they're separated. Yes. The, the bar for this person not being, for me to not be united to them is extremely, extremely high. I should not lower that standard based on petty grievances, even if it's really hard. Um, doesn't mean I need to be their best friend in the moment, but it does mean that this is my brother and I need to be super unwilling to sever them. Mm. Oh, I'm so glad you said mm. sever. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I was talking with, um, I guess it was a friend and a, a sister yesterday at the prayer breakfast from Christian mm-hmm. Tabernacle Baptist, but we talked about this idea of some of the most radical love that we have in the body of Christ and the radical unity in this fractious world, being that unity that agrees to sit in a room bodily with those who are different than us. Mm-hmm. And I reacted to this word sever because, you know, a very popular idea in, in secular culture of uh, being canceled or being, you know, ghosted, where there's this removal of presence. Mm-hmm. And I think Pastor Craig in the sermon drew out in a lot of really beautiful and ancient ways the picture of God's kingdom being brought present from Sinai into the city and being brought in closer and nearer to his people. But, uh, you know, more contemporaneous, I think we have a beautiful call in front of us to perhaps as the church do something really powerful by just gathering by just saying, I'm going to come to a room with you, maybe we have some coffee, maybe we have a topic to discuss, and we sit together in our differences, even when it's uncomfortable, rather than taking the easy way out and saying, you know, I'm sending in an email and I'm, I'm sending my regrets because it's too uncomfortable for me to be with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously there are contexts, and I know you would agree, where it it simply is wise and safe to actually not gather with someone in, sure. you know, in a relationship that's that's really come to that extreme. But certainly, our culture has moved in a, into a place where it seems righteous and just to not gather with certain people, mm. um, which is almost the definition of of self righteousness, mm. right? Mm. I'm gonna I'm gonna cut people off because they're not good enough for me. What I mean, what's the what's the reason here? Um, I don't I don't feel comfortable enough 
Whereas the passage that Jerry quotes, l- quoted, love bears all things, mm. believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Mm. And, of course, Jesus is the model there. Mm. So if anyone had a right to cancel someone, it was, it was God himself canceling us, um, and he chose not to out of his grace and mercy. Amen. I think it's it's been really fun for me uh, this ministry year and um, I don't know whether it's our life group or other events that the church is kind of putting on that have brought us together in a way that encourages us to continue making space and to persist even when it's hard. You know, we're coming up on an election cycle, things are going to get crazy, and we have a vast... Uh, range of opinions in this church, but how great is it that because of Christ, we can still say, sure, let's have lunch together. Let's come to a prayer meeting together um, and really dig in even where the rubber hits the road and talk about um, what is it, what are the implications of that gospel, that truth that enable us to say the differences are less important than the similarities. Um yeah, Bridges and, and I think to say the kingdom of God is more important than any other yeah. any other sort of kingdom, any other sort of you know political hope we may have, mm-hmm. the kingdom of God is more important. I want to be in the kingdom. Yeah, I, I may or may not want to be in in America with a certain president, you know, mm-hmm. or my at least my degree of desire should not be as high for that as for the kingdom. For sure. Uh, speaking of the kingdom, I, I was really encouraged by the point you made uh, from our Old Testament passage. Uh, so reminding our listeners that in Ephesians 4, verse 6, verse 8, Paul quotes an Old Testament passage, which is Psalm 68, uh, verse 18 specifically. And he describes uh, this victory procession of a king Uh, coming in after conquering enemies. Um, And in the psalm passage, it says, the king receive receive gifts from men. Whereas here, Paul flips it upside down and says that the king gives gifts to men. And it's this really um, counterintuitive description of this kingdom. This idea that the king is generous and he's worthy of praise, he's worthy of glory, he has conquered and he comes back victorious, yet he's not just taxing his subjects and requiring their homage, but rather he gives blessing upon blessing to them. And so this kind of, this brought questions to my mind of what other aspects of the kingdom are flipped upside down? Uh, We see right in verse one, Paul writes as a prisoner to God, But is he a prisoner that's in a cell? You know, is he in chains? Uh, Or is he um, given glory? And is he given honor and uh, blessing in his role as a prisoner? And what what does that mean for the Christian today in the kingdom? It's almost like he's using prisoner ironically, even though he literally is a prisoner. He's, He's sort of under house arrest, as far as we can tell. Get, he's got the ancient version of the ankle bracelet on, um, but 
it's a it, in this upside down world. This is actually, as he says in chapter three, for their glory. This is actually going to bring glory to God and bring glory to the church because it shows how the gospel works. Um, you you come to life through death. You come to strength mm. through weakness. Because the king that we worship came came to die. So I think you're right. It, it's turning it upside down. Um, even though he is that king also, who deserves all subjects. You know, he he sort of he deserves all worship of everyone, and can come as the conqueror if he had wanted, uh, but chose in his grace to come as the the meek one. I think everything is upside. You asked what else is upside down. I I think everything is upside down in the kingdom. Um, The first shall be last, and the Mm. last shall be first. It's not fair. We we shouldn't want fairness, um, in in that sense. Mm. Mm. Yeah, there's this um, image in Revelation four and and five, where John is getting getting the the privilege of uh, hearing this great big worship service and he sees all these crazy creatures i mean angels with lion faces these, <laughs> these these 12 kingly figures called elders that are that have crowns and they're throwing these crowns down they're seraphim from there these massive glorious creatures and they're all caught up in worship over something and john gets the center of it all and right there in the center he sees something that is mind-blowing he sees a lamb that looks like it's slain sitting on a throne that seems a bit anticlimactic. Like you would think these massive creatures would be seeing something else bigger and grander than them. But a lamb that's slain on a throne and heaven is caught up in wonder over that. I think that's part of the upside down reality that, that we live in. Here are these two seemingly opposed realities. A, a thing that looks utterly defeated is mm. not. He's ruling. Mm. So he can't be a tyrant because he's a lamb. <laughs> He can't be a weakling because he's on a throne. And he's exuding all of that. And that, I mean, just, just that image of, of a king here who's conquered, and the very people he's conquered, he's giving gifts to. <laughs> that, that, that is hope for the, for the hopeless there. Because here's also a king who knows what it's like to be conquered. And he can, he, he can literally say, I've been in your shoes. <laughs> and this is how I rule. I love that, yeah. Cherry. I really appreciate that. I love that you said it's hope for the hopeless. Mm-hmm. It's it's really the only way, right, that we can proclaim mm-hmm. the good news to anyone, mm-hmm. no matter what. He is strong enough to save you, mm-hmm. and he's strong enough to save you no matter how far down you think you are. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's why I think the upside-down nature of the kingdom is so fundamental, mm-hmm. right? It's fundamental to the gospel itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's that's who's blessed. That's who's happy. That's who's in the kingdom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not who is who are rich in spirit. Yeah. Who, yeah. who are self sufficient and mm-hmm. self self assured and can do all sorts of things themselves. Yeah. And I, I I also thank you, Jerry, for. Uh, well, firstly, I feel like you're you've come through publicly a couple times in your love of poetry and i think you're onto something there i think that was 
Uh, you've got a draft of a poem on your hands, which is <laughs> really beautiful. Poet, but. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but also just awakening us to the reality of the spiritual realm mm-hmm. that at times as, you know, sin clings to us and we are awaiting, we're, we're pilgrims longing for the return of our king, we can feel this weight and this darkness uh, from day to day and in the hard work of the unity and the trenches. But what you've done in reading this Revelations passage is remind us of the glorious realm that is just behind the veil, mm. that as we pray together, as we lock arms together and do that which Satan would hate for us to be doing, mm-hmm. that we have essentially, yeah, protection in the spiritual realm, angels that, mm-hmm. you know, the saints are rejoicing when they see us mm-hmm. clinging to each other in the gospel and saying that that unity is more important than any darkness mm-hmm. weighing us down. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a, it's a, a really powerful thing to remind us that uh, the things in front of our eyes are the minority things, and rather mm-hmm. that which is unseen, we fix our eyes on those unseen things. Mm-hmm. From Corinthians again. Yeah. And just like the, obviously the Christian position is that there is a spiritual realm. So, um, using that reality it it strikes me that that is that image in revelation that is what heaven is obsessed with like that is we experience none of that here here on this earth where where the world is caught up in weakness and and humbleness like that is what moves and stirs the world we get hints of it we get hints of Mm -hmm. it for sure but just hints but that is the aura of heaven, like every bit of it. It's here they are worshiping something that is lowly but mighty. Hmm. And when and Craig, you mentioned the Beatitudes. There, Christ is caught up with. If there's anything that the Lord Himself is pleased with, it's not the mighty. It is lowliness. Hmm. And to say that you're blessed, you're happy, you're in a happy place whenever you're poor in spirit. I mean. Is there any other place in the world, any other institution that can tell you, oh, you're in a you're in a bad place, you're in a bad place in life, you're in a lowly place? Good for you. Like that mm. is a happy place to be. Keep going. <laughs> Not in and of itself. Not of in and of itself. Not in itself. But it's but. like it's the characteristic of it's it's how you yeah. receive Jesus. Mm-hmm. So it's it's the first step. Everyone has to go there. Right. Everyone has to become poor and hungry. Uh, in order to receive Jesus, there's no other way. Mm-hmm. You can't receive Jesus pridefully. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense at right. all. It's a good way to frame, too, like the gifts. So he's giving gifts to the church. And this is a picture, I think, of his ascension. As he has ascended, he sends these gifts by the Holy Spirit. There's only mm-hmm. one spirit. There's only one church. And he gives these gifts. And he tells, he says these gifts are these five offices, apostles, mm-hmm. prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Um and sometimes the next verse is used to sort of empower Christians. Um, obviously, we have nothing against empowering Christians. This is not the right verse to go to, uh, because I do think verse 12 is, is better understood as referring to what those offices are meant to do. So those are the gifts. They are to uh, complete or perfect the saints. They are to uh, do the work of ministry, and they are to build up the body of Christ. So it's like they are reserved, uh, as he does elsewhere, sort of reserving the ministry of the word for that, um, which is not 
in any way to diminish what what the diversity of the passage says, but I just think it's you just don't misuse that verse. Um, don't say because of that verse we can all now go do the work of ministry. Yes, of course, all the whole church. This whole point is that there's only one church, and so the upside down nature is how these officers are meant to serve. You serve in humility, so this is not a pastor who's obviously biased trying to assert power and authority. Uh, if anything, this is this is saying we especially should be those who are moved by humility and gentleness mm-hmm. and love, mm-hmm. um, so that then everyone can be uh, united and brought into uh, one head, who is Christ. Yeah. What do you think? I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. What What do you guys think the significance that the gifts that Christ gave were all word centered gifts? Right. <laughs> Every single one of them, like the ministry of the word. I know that was very. Work. I know that was very striking. I don't think I had noticed that before, mm-hmm. and because it's all really focused on teaching here, mm-hmm. um, teaching in the word, which is interesting because the earlier in the passage it seems like it's not a lot about teaching. It's about mm-hmm. humility and gentleness and faith. So, I think it's. I think it's saying our teaching informs. Uh, if if your teaching doesn't lead you to humility and love, it's the wrong teaching, right? Mm-hmm. But if you're only focused on humility and love as if you don't need teaching, you're going to miss something too. Mm-hmm. So speaking the truth in love always has to have both of those. Mm-hmm. Um, if you try to do one without the other, you lose both, mm-hmm. I think is, what, is what's going on because you're going to get tossed to and fro with the waves, you mm-hmm. know? So, mm-hmm. oh, we don't need doctrine. We just need the Bible and love. Well, you're, you're going to end up losing both right. if you mm-hmm. think doctrine's a bad thing because doctrine's supposed to guard what love is. It's supposed to mm-hmm. guard what the Bible says. Uh, those are my thoughts. Mm-hmm. I also think that it's meaningful in that God made us to be, uh, you know, bearing his image in that we need to hear from those closest to us very regularly, daily, if not more frequently. Mm-hmm. And... And we kind of see that pattern even with scripture and how uh, in the Old Testament, you know, the, the Israelites being told to gather manna daily is a framework for what it means to go to God's word daily mm-hmm. and be nourished on a regular basis. So to Craig's point, you know, if, if Christ is giving us word-centered gifts, it doesn't make any sense to try to build up a stockpile of humility, love, humility and love one time per year and have some kind of, you know, let's do a love conference. And then we don't ever speak of love again throughout the whole year. What a foolish choice. Similarly, I think if we were to try to say, oh, I'm going to go really heavy into the word on one, you know, heavily loaded time and then not read the word again, Mm -hmm. we're going against our design. So I think it's, it's pointing to the way God made us to be in constant Mm. communication and constant relationship with him. Mm. Yeah. Which which also reminds us of the first verse where he says walk, yeah. This idea of walking, uh, I therefore urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. So this it's it's a whole way of being. You 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 sort of consider it, study it, walk around. This is how you carry yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, the the entire Christian life is yeah. seen here. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. Unless anybody th- thinks that, you know, two pastors here are talking about pastors being gifts to church. <laughs> you think we're <laughs> self-serving. <laughs> this, this is obviously 
we we know this, and if you've been a part of CPC for a number of years, you would you'd have heard this before. But the, these are all offices that a person steps into. So he, the God didn't give Jerry and Craig <laughs> as gifts to Christ Presbyterian Church, to, but he did give the office of pastor, mm. in mm-hmm. which me or Craig could be disposed of, and the office would still be there. Mm. I mean, uh, hopefully it's both, right? Hopefully, uh, yes, yeah, you're right. Yeah, of both. course, the persons are not essential, but hopefully right. we are gifts. Right. Um, but that's not the point. Well, our prayer is that we would all uh, be joined. This is the end of the passage being joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love we hope Amen. that you find uh, your place in that to the glory of our lord and savior jesus christ Amen. 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 till next time peace